Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So everyone's wondering what that noise is. And I, I, this teapot my daughter bought me, and I love teacups and teapots, just don't get me going on that, because a lot of what you're eating from is mine. <laughs> it's too much, but I love it. So, but. <laughs> I know, we got all. That's all. Okay. So. I know it's sweet. It's kind of fun. She thought of me when she got it. So I just, once again, I want to say welcome. Um, hopefully all of you guys met your table hostess if you haven't met them before and introduced yourselves. I'm just going to go around the room real quick so that all of us can know who are the table hostess. So myself, I'm over here at the carnival table. <laughs> Sorry, ladies, but we're at the carnival table. <laughs> Awful fun. So Rose Corbick right here. And this is Paris, if you haven't figured that one out yet. All right. And Carolyn is at the gold table back there, and we called that the um, uh, English cottage. Yes, so that's the English cottage table. And then we have the, Allie is right next to her. Raise your hand, please, Allie. This is Allie or Elena. Um, and hers is the country table, right? Farmhouse. Farmhouse. Thank you very much. And then we have English Ivy, or English Rose, which is Kathy. She's way in the corner, raise your hand higher, there you go. And then Mary in the back is totally Irish. So can you tell? Sweet, she really is Irish. <laughs> and then we've got the beach bum, which is Larissa. So raise your hand, Larissa. <laughs> Very good, don't move. Okay, so anyway, I just wanna say welcome. Today's verse, as we prayed for the tea and, and got it together, um, if you've seen on your program, there's a doodle. And it took me a lot to share this doodle, but I did it years ago. But this verse has meant a lot to me, and I thought this would be perfect for today. And it's Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that verse has meant so much because it's filled with hope and joy and peace and trust, but it's trust in who God is. And as he fills us up, that hope, that joy, that trust, that peace becomes greater in our life. But it all comes, for me, it, it, it's from Jesus himself. As he fills us up with his Holy Spirit, that sweetness of our Savior overflows into our lives in a whole lot of ways. And so today, that's the theme. Um, our guest speaker is Rose. I'll introduce her later. And um, so what we're going to do is I'll give a little bit of direction. I'll say a little prayer, um, have a little gift, and then first course Again, once again on your program, there's courses listed. We're gonna have three courses today, so that's not the only food, okay? So no worries. <laughs> so we'll dismiss, I'll, um, we'll dismiss table by table, that's probably best, and um, I'll go different directions each time. We'll do that that way. And um, just enjoy, grab something. There's coffee in the back and iced tea. If you're not a tea drinker, grab your cup, go over and have some coffee, okay? 
If you need anything, there's some men in the back willing to serve. They're filling our coffee cups, or I mean our teapots, water, anything you need, you know, raise your hand or grab them. They'll be checking back with us off and on, okay? Um, last thing, bathrooms. There's one directly behind Tim in the back. There's a single door back here. And then as you walk through the doors back there, it's our fellowship hall. And on the right, there you'll see the woman's bathroom. So feel free to um, go back into that back room if you need to use the restroom. So when we were planning this tea, one thing that I love, I've done several, um, and by the way, I'm, I forgot to introduce myself. I'm Teresa, <laughs> sorry. Um, and I'm the pastor's wife. My husband back there is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, and we've been doing this for 20 years. And over the course of 20 years, I've probably had about 10 or 15 teas that I've done big and small within the course of our church, but also I've loved tea and teacups for years. When I was 16, I was in England and got my first teacup, and that was the end of it. So, um, so when doing a tea, I love the details. So I'm just asking you to pay attention to the details as we go throughout the day. Details from everything, and every table is an example or a detail of your hostess. Things they like, things about them, um, and they're presenting to you a glimpse into who they are, which is really fun. And what I hope that you will see today is a glimpse of Jesus as you look around at the details because he shows us every day who he is and about us from the, from the, the nature, from the trees, from the flowers, from every little part of us and he says in his word on on he cares for the sparrow you know the birds he cares so much for them and then his word tells us how much more does he care for us how much more if he takes care of the smallest little detail of the little bitty birds i have birds at my table rose has birds at her table which we didn't plan but that bird to me is so important because it's a sweet reminder how much more how much more does our Savior love us? So I hope you'll see that today as we're enjoying chat with each other, have fun. I'll come up and make some noise so you'll know I'm up here. And then we'll do a few songs and a few other things as the day goes on. So with that, let's pray. And then I've got a little surprise. Heavenly Father, I come before you now and thank you for each woman that's here. I thank you that over the course of the planning and the sign-up and the preparing for this tea, that each woman here has been prayed for by name. And just as you know our name and know us intimately, you know every detail of our life, and you died for us because you love us and because you care for us. And I want these women to know how much we care for them and how much you care for them. And so I pray that that would be evident today. I pray that this room would be filled with joy, and laughter, and Lord, that you would just permeate every corner, and that we would um, go home at peace and with hope. And Lord, so thank you for today, and thank you for everyone who has come here. And so bless this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Feel free to turn your chairs if that will be more comfortable. So we are going to start with Paul today. You might remember our faithful servant, Paul, started as Saul. Saul was a persecutor of the church. And 
in Acts 9, he had a dramatic conversion where he was blinded and Jesus appeared to him and told him to go to Ananias. And Ananias, this obedient man said, I don't wanna see this man, he's out murdering everybody. But he too was obedient. And the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. Paul was created at that instant and he was sincerely converted to Christianity. Now, you know, imagine if Ted Bundy or a mass murderer came to you and said, I've been converted, I wanna to come to your church and I wanna preach. I mean, Don would probably have some criteria. The disciples back then were no different. He went to them and he wanted to preach and they just said, um, no, they were all afraid of him. And he started preaching anyway. He knew that this was real and genuine. He'd had such an encounter with the Lord. And so his preaching actually, it says, raised havoc in Jerusalem. We need more preachers today that are raising havoc, not just making everybody happy and comfortable. But that aside, Paul was rejected. Here he is, he's found the Lord, and he wants to share that with everybody. And it looked kind of hopeless. Who's gonna believe in him? And two words, but Barnabas. Barnabas believed him, he believed it was sincere, so he took him to the apostles, Peter and James, who were not with the other disciples at that point. And so Paul started preaching, and remarkably, this one man's conversion and obedience allows us to be here as Gentiles, but he was able to proclaim the gospel to all classes of people from the palace to the prison over his tenure as a, an itinerant uh, pastor going here and there. So wherever you are today with your job, your home, whatever situation in, it's not an accident. God is in the details as we've talked about all week, Teresa and me. So at this point, when Paul wrote the letter to the Roman church, which is where our theme verse was from, he was actually in Corinth, so he couldn't go to them, so he sent a letter. And there must have had quite a few issues, because he goes on and on in Romans about what righteousness looks like. Um, he was on his third missionary journey, and this is in the spring of AD 57. So our setting is ancient Rome, the capital of the massive Roman Empire. They had political importance, geographical position, sheer magnificence, and let's face it, they were just intimidatingly brutal. Uh, they were celebrated in, Rome celebrated its architecture, aqueducts, baths, theaters, and thoroughfares, much like Paris or New York or other large cities of our time. I love this quote. Alternatively described as the glorious crowning achievement of mankind and as the sewer of the universe, Rome had reasons for both civic pride and for its um, shame for staggering social urban problems, much like we see today. Paul's primary theme in Romans is the gospel, just the basic plan of salvation and righteousness for all, for Jews and Gentiles. He was clarifying that the promised Messiah came for the Gentiles too, and that is us. Unless there's a Jewish descent person in the room, I'm not trying to be offensive, but generally, we are all considered Gentiles. 
So right before our theme verse, Paul is going through weaker and stronger Christians and how to get along, and he's dealing with people that are mostly Gentiles in the church at Rome, but they had a significant group of Jews there, and there was a lot of conflict because it was a new thing for Gentiles to be grafted in. So they were like, you know, should we do this or this? Well, Jesus spent a lot of time um, giving Paul the wisdom he needed, and all of it's clarified for us, but even today people say, do we celebrate the festivals or not? What day is a Sabbath on? Should we eat pork or should we eat kosher or does it matter? And so um, all of that, Paul spent a lot of time writing about. But right before our theme verse, he talks about in verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of hope fills us with joy and peace. Our part, like Teresa said earlier, is to trust in him. Then is a conditional statement. After we trust, then we overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this in our own strength. You cannot manufacture hope. Someone once said, man can live about 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without hair, air. <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at my husband. No, I wasn't. <laughs> but only one second without hope. And Tim's my main man, and we just celebrated 25 years of marriage, so love him. Uh, thank you. That is a pretty amazing thing on both sides of our family, and we do not take that lightly. That third of cord strand, third strand is not easily broken. So what is hope? It is a biblical, the biblical definition is a confident expectation. The world may say, I hope I get that job, or I hope for this, or I hope for that. And those are not bad things, and many of us Christians go through those kind of hope cycles too. But this is a different kind of hope. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us, faith in confidence is what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. So when do we need hope and faith? When we don't see, what's the next step? It is faith to do that. And my husband pointed out, we only need faith and hope here on earth. Once we get to heaven, we don't need those. We won't be hoping or we won't be having faith that this will come to pass. We'll be worshiping God, who is love. That's why I think Paul wrote the greatest of these, the three that remain, faith, hope, and love. Love is the greatest. But back to our trials, because that's why you all came. <laughs> why do we go through trials? Anybody who was in Sunday school in your whole life, what's the answer every time? Jesus. That's right, Naomi gets a star. Okay. We go through trials to discover Jesus, who he is, what his character traits are. His plans are so much higher than ours. Don't try to figure it out. We just walk it out. And we keep our eyes focused on him. Many times we think a trial is just about us. But God uses trials to show his power and for his glory and to spread the gospel. And we get to be part of that work. 
trials are not insignificant, and we know from James that we're going to have them. He said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Hebrews 5 adds, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So again, it's from that Holy Spirit indwelling you. Well, how many of us wanna go through trials? You know, I used to not want to, I was like, uh, no, I don't want to be in the trial of the month club. <laughs> just take that somewhere else. I just, you know, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't want it to be so hard. And everybody I know that is serving the Lord today is going through stuff that's really hard. Some of you here in the room and many of our friends and family, um, oftentimes to pray. So helping each other through these trials. But in today's culture, people are leaving the church in droves and losing the answer to finding hope. They are experiencing anxiety and depression as part of a global epidemic. Everyone is impacted by depression and anxiety, either themselves or loved ones or coworkers who cannot show up to work. I mean, we're all taking that impact. Now hear me, I'm not against medication or therapy, but the, st the statistics in the last decade that have come out are staggering. So here are a few. According to the World Health Organization, depression will be the second largest killer next year, following only heart disease. And it used to be like ninth or 10th. So it's really changed. Um, and there's a number of reasons for that, but I'm not gonna go into it. You can research it, but it follows coronary disease, but it also contributes to that. So it's really part of number one and two. In America, depression affects 9 million people, and that number is rising. This was something I didn't know. Preschoolers are the fastest growing market for antidepressants. At least 4% of preschoolers are clinically depressed. That's tragic and alarming. People are discouraged today, even Christians. Where do we turn when life is so hard that we can hardly breathe and hope seems lost? Well, we're gonna look at some women in the Bible who experienced despair. It's not a sin to have fear. Psalms tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fear has positive elements to protect and preserve us. You know, we teach our kids a healthy fear about touching a hot stove or different things, and God is the same with, way with us. But we generally have to experience the pain and then we go, oh, I don't wanna feel that again, and you learn, and it's just part of the cycle. But fear also has a very negative side where we can make bad decisions in a crisis or even become paralyzed. What we need to understand is how Jesus views us in our fear. Many of us as children were afraid of the dark or monsters under the bed. Very common child behaviors. These fears were irrational. We knew there wasn't a monster. We knew everything was okay. But as a child, it felt overwhelming in the moment. And so think about, that's how God sees us when we're in our trial. There really isn't a monster. Satan will fill you with lies. Now there might be a lot of horrible things going on, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen, 
But a lot of the things that people are afraid of today aren't even real. First Kings 17, we go to the prophet Elijah, one of my heroes. This guy, he just showed up. He never knew what God was going to do, and he couldn't script it. His job was just to show up, and that's all any of us can do. All we can do is abide in that vine. So he gets this assignment to go tell the evil king Ahab there's going to be a drought. And then he has to go to Jezebel's father's territory, who are enemies of God, and depend on a widow, a pagan widow, who's an enemy of God, to sustain him. She is on the brink of starvation herself. This is his assignment. And most of us would probably be like, uh, no thanks. <laughs> you know. But true to his character, we see that Elijah is obedient. Now realize Israel at this point has been very bad. They're in the timeout. That's why they have the drought and the famine. So God uses this pagan woman to show that he is still there. Um, he hasn't left them, but he sometimes uses who we think are our enemies to chip away at what we need to learn. So sometime later, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land, just as the Lord had said. And then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went and he met the widow and she was getting sticks and he asked, can you bring me a drink of water and a piece of bread? And she said, as surely as the Lord God your God lives. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that way we may eat it and die. And mic drop. That was her real life. That was her state that she was in when Elijah came to her. So Elijah said, don't be afraid. By the way, that's in the Bible 365 times, so you have it every day of the year. You can always pull that out. Put it on your mirror if you need a reminder. So he said, go home and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf of bread from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And sure enough, that's how it went down. We know in 1 Kings 18, that drought and famine was severe and lasted more than three years. So imagine that. She had enough for her and her son and Elijah through three years of drought and famine in a pagan land. Do you think anybody noticed the one true God that Elijah was there and this widow was being sustained? When God asks you to do something hard, give what you have in your hand, a little oil and a flour, you think, this is gonna do me in. But he takes that and with the overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit, remember oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit, he multiplies it. God's math, I don't understand it. My son and I were talking about it the other day, and it is confusing. You cannot figure it out on paper, never can. All you do is put your trust in him to work it out. So things are going along, and then things got worse. Her son got sick and died. And Elijah's like, 
what's going on here, Lord? <laughs> so he doesn't know. So he takes the boy upstairs, lays him on a bed, and cries out to the Lord. Have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? He doesn't know the answer. So by faith, he stretched himself on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. So he took him back downstairs and said, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So this pagan woman found her God that day, but it took a famine and a drought and a trial and uh, that is how the Lord works. So if you're in a trial, know that it's gonna be worked for something good. This widow was ready for her son and herself to die, but she trusted Elijah's God and came to know him. God cares about each one of us and he's in every detail. In this story, we see he is full of mercy even for his enemies. Then we have a second widow found in 2 Kings who can't pay her bills. This is not the prosperity doctrine. I won't be talking about that. And you must be a wise steward with your finances today. But one medical crisis or death of a spouse or job loss can put any family at risk for bankruptcy. So who do you turn to when life and bills are piling up and it's all overwhelming? Well, in this story, we have Elisha, who was trained under Elijah and got the second, the double portion. So he goes to this widow, and again, there's olive oil. And in this case, she and her husband had faithfully served the Lord and revered him. But now the husband's creditor is coming to take the two sons as his slaves. Different widow, two sons, and things are, again, very difficult and bleak. Elisha says, well, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? I want you to understand, ladies, what you need for your problem is usually right near you. Like everybody's out looking for the four-leaf clover. It's not there. It's really just seeking the Lord and asking him, showing you these are such simple illustrations of fixing a colossal crisis. Your servant has nothing there at all. So again, she thinks she has nothing to do or give, except a small jar of olive oil. So he gives her this assignment, take you and your sons and go to all your neighbors and get the jars and bring them back. We're gonna fill them up. And she does it. Like, I don't know how many of you would be like, okay, knock on doors and we need jars, but she does it. And so they fill them and the oil doesn't stop flowing till there's not one jar left. So she went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. So our lesson here is God is still the overflow God. Use what you have, even if it seems like nothing. Very often, Jesus had already provided what we need. This widow who was facing having her sons turned into slavery obeyed and saved them through her obedience. Imagine her neighbors who had given her the empty jars, watching as the Lord sustained her and her two sons. Moms, can you hear me? That situation with your child is not hopeless. And I have a 17 and 19 year old son, so I'm preaching to the choir. Wives, that marriage is not hopeless. Singles, being alone will not last forever. Those of you in chronic pain, 
or caring for loved ones who are or living with incurable diseases, the Lord wants you to know that he is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Going through trials is never fun, but God uses them and they are necessary. Romans 8 promises us that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Someday that trial that almost took you out will be a testimony. Like the two women in the New Testament who met Jesus and were forever changed. Instead of God pouring into them, now we're gonna talk about two women who poured an overflow of devotion to the Lord in the hardest week of his life. Now, both of them had encountered the Lord earlier in previous stories, but here it's the week before the cross, down to the finish line. Jesus knows what's ahead of him. So six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. How many already know Martha served? Of course, Martha was serving. That's her character. Lazarus was reclining. We won't go into that. And then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. What an act of worship. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him, objected. And he was talking about the money. You know, that was worth a year's wages, and it could have been sold and given to the poor. But Jesus said, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Four days later, we find Jesus still in Bethany, but now in the home of Simon the leper. And he's being anointed by another woman, a former prostitute. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests were plotting but they didn't want to do anything during the festival because they thought the people would riot. So while he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head, again, anointing him for his burial. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. How many of you have done something sincerely from your heart and been misunderstood? Well, nothing could be more accurate than this poor woman trying to do that. And again, Jesus defended the woman. Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And he goes, you know, he says again, you'll always have the poor, but you won't always have me knowing he's going to the cross in two days. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So in their overflow of devotion and being rebuked harshly by men, the Lord switched it around and recorded it for all time that she did the, the wise thing. I can't help but ask, and men, you can close your ears, but what were the men concerned about? The finances. They completely missed the point of these acts of luxurious devotion to Christ. How these two women must have refreshed him spiritually in the hardest week of his life, right before the cross. May we choose to be like them and pour out our lives as a fragrant offering. 
Jesus also told us we'd have troubles, so it's coming right from him. In John 16:33, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we know we will have trouble, we will have trials, but we're promised in Revelation that for those who overcome, we will be richly blessed. So how do we take heart when trouble comes knocking? How do we press on and overcome? Pastor and author Max Lucado had some insights. It's just a secular society in which we live in the United States, and secularism sucks the peace out of people because we don't have a way of coping with the fears that come. In Philippians 4, 6, the apostle Paul wrote, be anxious for nothing. And when he writes, be anxious for nothing, he doesn't mean never feel anxiety. The Greek verb actually means do not allow yourself to be perpetually anxious. Don't allow yourself to slip into the mindset of constant anxiety. Anxiety is an option. Everyone in the Bible that was in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith must have had a day of anxiety. But don't stay in the prison of anxiety. And he gives us such a wonderful teaching, Max said, to deal with anxiety. First, rejoice in the Lord always. Then, be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And then, meditate on these things. So those are the four big ideas, and he made an acronym out of it, CALM. Celebrate, ask, leave, meditate. First, we celebrate God, then we ask God for help, we leave the problem with God, and then we meditate on good things. So to wrap up, when you're struggling, put on your favorite worship music, pray for help and comfort from the Holy Spirit, let God fix the problem, focus on what is good, or remember how faithful he's been in the past. You are not forgotten, he promised eight times in the Bible that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Thank you, Rose. Um, you know, as she was speaking and I, I'm listening to what she's saying and we all go through struggles in life, right? I mean, what she said is yes and amen. But the biggest thing, especially with this verse, may the God of all hope and, and may fill us. That's what we want him to do, but how do we know that that's who we need? Because the struggles come and go. Um, we love Randy Stonehill, my husband and I, and he has a t-shirt that says, life is tough, but God is good. And it's that same verse on the back of the t-shirt that Rose quoted. Be of good cheer. You know, we're gonna have struggles and trials in this world, but be of good cheer. And the reason we can have that cheer or be of good cheer is because Jesus has already overcome the world. He's already done it for all of us as a gift. And the reason why is because he loves us. Because he gave his son, Jesus Christ. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, for us. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't mean he, if, if you were the only person on this whole wide world and God sent his son Jesus to die for you, that would be for you. But yet, in order to receive that free gift that he gave us, we have to receive it. Just like the gifts on your table. 
right? Your hostesses all individually picked a gift for each of you. Individually, it's just for you. But if you just left it on the table, it's not going to be yours. That gift is yours for the taking. But you have to receive it, pick it up, hold it, take it, make it yours. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Struggles happen. I, I was telling my friend at the table, I had a rough couple weeks. There's a lot of struggles going on, and I only told him a little bit. But I'm always reminded that God loves me. He knows the struggles I'm going through. In the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and Ezra there are rebuilding the wall, and I quote this so often because there's one little verse in there that just pricked my heart, and I remember it when things are tough. And Ezra was praying as they were coming against the enemies. People were trying to discourage everything they were doing. They, whatever they were doing, they were trying to rebuild the wall for God. And they kept coming against struggles and enemies and deception and all kinds of stuff. And Ezra says this, and this is my par paraphrase. It says, he was praying to God and he said, let not this, be this trial be insignificant before thee. Whatever that is. Lord, use it in my life so that he would be glorified. And I'm like, Lord, trials don't go away when we become a Christian. And sometimes we think they will. I just got to know Jesus. <laughs> and it's all going to go away. It doesn't. But what it does when you're walking through the trial is give you that understanding when you know him that he's with you. That's the only thing the struggles come and I need to know that someone's with me because they hurt. They're painful. They're, they're, they're sourful. Sour. Sour. Yeah. Thank you. But all those things that we go through, do you let it go to the wayside or do you turn to somebody? We all turn some way. We don't just let it happen. Either we turn away from the Lord or turn toward the Lord. And my hope and my prayer is that everyone here, even in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your struggle, that you will turn to Jesus, to the God of hope. And, and you know, God the Son, God the Father, the three in one. I mean, we all know that. And this verse talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need to equip to walk out this life in the midst of the struggles. I am who I am today because of the struggles that I've gone through, they've shaped and formed me. But in the process, I've learned to trust the Lord that whatever comes, he will is faithful to who he is and will give me the strength to walk those out. So with coupling with calm, I liked that. You know, the second part, we need to turn to Jesus, <laughs> right? Or we, I'll leave it, leave it with him, just to leave it with him. But you can't leave it with him till you come to him. And so I pray for each of you that you will come to him and so I want to just say a prayer right now. And then at the, end of the, um, to, at, at the end of the tea, if any of you want to pray or talk to either Rose or I or, there's, or talk to your table hostess, we would be happy to pray for you and come alongside of you and encourage you if you have any questions or if you need prayer, if you're going through a struggle and you want us to just pray for you, we are here for you to do that, okay? So I'm going to pray right now. And then, um, of course, then we'll have a little bit more fun. So, Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have given us everything through the power of the Holy Spirit to live life, whatever we need, Lord, you have given it to us. 
But just like that gift, Lord, we need to receive that gift. And Lord, I pray that each woman here, whether they're in the midst of a struggle or came out of one or going into one, Lord God, but they, they would know without a shadow of a doubt that you love them. That they would know without a shadow of a doubt that you are the God of hope. That they would know that you desire to be in the midst of their life. That those struggles that they're holding on too tight to, Lord, that they can let go and surrender to you. Because you, Lord God, want them to know you. A personal, loving, kind father who cares for his children. Who opens the door for us to say, Lord, I need you. And Lord, as we know that we need you, that you are the God of the ages. That you are the one that meets every need that we have. That you are the one that captures all of our tears and holds them in the bottle. You are the one, Lord, that knows every bleeding, wounded heart. And you are the one that says, I understand. That you are the God who sees all. And even though we don't understand the trials, Lord, you know the outcome. And may we trust in you, the God of hope, so that you might... Lord, flow out through us, that you might overflow us with your love and overflow us with your joy and your peace. So, Father, I pray today that you would sink this word into our hearts, that we might be encouraged and strengthened. So thank you for your free salvation. Thank you for your free love. And thank you for giving us life and breath in every living thing. So bless the rest of this afternoon, Lord, as we continue on. And thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray.